0: So, have any of you ever played that game, Name the Tune, you know, where you hum the song and then somebody's got to guess, guess what song that is? Well, one of the most infuriating things is when somebody hums a tune and they can't get it so they go a little longer and they go a little longer and finally everybody gives up and then the person who is humming the tune says, it's this song, and everybody shouts and protests and says, that's not the song, that's not how it goes. Um, So in in order to better understand what it is that I'm saying, I want you to play the game with me quickly, okay? So here's the first tune. (laughs) What is that? Star Wars, right? Pretty close. I'm not humming it perfectly, but you got it. Okay, what about this one? Nope, it's the theme song to Garaki. (laughs) <laughs> the movie Rocky, which most of you wouldn't even know. So what's the difference between those two? What would we say the difference is between those two tunes is familiarity, right? Many of us are very familiar with Star Wars, but many of us have never even heard or seen Rocky any part. Yeah, there are 18 parts that they have, and it's good, by the way. Grew up on that one. So anyway, the more familiar we are with a tune, the the more we will be um, able to recognize it at any point in time. And that's what we're here to learn about today. So, you know, the COVID season has taught us all kinds of things. I know all of us could attest to the things that God has taught us. One of the things that Brad and I learned is how much we love and miss live music. Do any of you miss that live music? I mean, it's one of the things that is so hard, and I can't wait for it to come back. Every Christmas when we lived in D.C., Brad and I would go to the Kennedy Center in order to listen to um, the... Uh, the National Symphony Orchestra play Handel's Messiah. We went every single year. And the main reason we went was not just to see the Kennedy Center, although it's beautiful, and not just to hear the symphony, although it's beautiful, or to listen to the wonderful choir that they'd have. The main reason we would go is in order to ingest that beauty and genius of that whole work in its entirety. So if you're not familiar with it, I know that you've heard this song, Hallelujah,
1: hallelujah, hallelujah.
0: Now, again, recognizing familiarity, that's from Handel's Messiah. It's one of the most inspiring pieces I think we've ever heard. Um, Some of you may not be familiar with that one um, and the way that the instruments play on top of each other and layer upon layer of sound. But you might be more familiar with something like Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb. That one seems to be one that a lot of of individuals know now. Um, You think about that final song that's played. It's called the theme of my song. I don't know if you remember it. But during the song, five individual pieces are played at the same time. And they all layer on each other to make this beautifully mesmerizing crescendo of sound, highlighting the truth of the gospel message that he sings about throughout the entire piece. Now, back in October, Jennifer Gidden taught us, this is pre-COVID days, y'all, pre-mask and all that good stuff. She taught us in our Women's Institute um, on biblical theology, and she used that illustration of the symphony of Peter and the wolf. Do some of you remember that when she was telling us all the sounds that were played, all the different instruments, um, their different personalities, telling the storyline of the Bible, all under the direction of one conductor, doing all of that. If you weren't able to make it to that institute, I'd really encourage you to to go back and have a listen. It will help you better understand some of what we're talking about today as well. All three of those illustrations that I give you just now all relate to what we're going to talk about this morning, finding the melodic line in our biblical text. As women of the word, we must first understand the baseline melody when we study God's word. So what exactly is the melodic line? So I've given you a few illustrations so far, but let's get working on a definition going from here. Now, from a musical standpoint, a melodic line is the musical basis upon which a composition is built, a whole piece. It's the first main melody that you hear in a song. Sometimes there's an introduction before it, but it's that consistent, recognizable melody or characteristic rhythmic pattern. Can get that out. It's the basis for the whole composition. So, the principle we have today, just as every song has a unique melody, so every book of the Bible has a unique theme. That's what I want you to walk away with from this first part of our class this morning, okay? And what does that mean? Well, with we give the definition of a melodic line, we would say it is the coherent, sustained message of the book. It's the theme that makes sense of a book. So like a unique melody to a song, it unites the whole book. Every passage that you study is gonna be related to that melodic line in some way. It's as if every book of the Bible has a theme song, and every section that you study within that book should relate to that theme. The key is that we must listen long enough and listen well enough in order to hear the melody. Just like our example earlier in humming the tune, the more familiar you are with it, the more recognizable the tune is, right? <clears throat> I want you to think back to our comparison. When you, you do that Star Wars theme versus a Rocky Balboa, you're like, what is that? You know, you're not familiar with it. Okay, so let's think about some benefits to doing this. Why bother doing this? Can't you just pick up and open up your Bible and do this? And why are we talking about melodic line at the very end of how to study your Bible? I actually had a friend ask me that yesterday. And one of the things I'll say is you have to be able to be familiar with the text in order to pull out the melodic line. So it's not something that you start with. It's something that comes as you continue to study your text, So the more you spend time in that book, the more that you'll be able to recognize what the author is trying to get across as his main theme. Okay, doing the work of finding the melodic line is going to benefit you immensely. It's worth the extra effort you've taken to come this morning because you're going to grow in your ability to better know and to teach the Bible in whatever sphere God has you, whether it's the nursery, whether it's at your home, whether it's in sunday school i hope we get some more classes going again soon with COVID. whether it's a bible study that's your teaching whether you're teaching for a women's institute whether you're homeschooling i could go on and on within your workplace bible studies your own personal devotions we as women of the word will handle the specific text better as we're studying it and more accurately if we're able to find that melodic line of the text Each book of the Bible has a main message, or what we call the big idea. You've heard that whole thing of a big idea that fits the main message of the whole Bible. So I want you to think about it almost as layers. You've got the melodic line of the book, but you think about your biblical theology that's the main theme of the whole Bible, the redemptive storyline of history, and each book has its own theme that bumps underneath that. And then your own text should support that same melody line of the book which supports the melody line of the whole Bible in its entirety. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Okay. So additionally, it's going to help support other parts of your Bible study in a number of ways. Thinking back to what we have studied here as a group, you know, Amy Gatti taught us how to stay on the line. So knowing the melodic line helps us to know what line we're supposed to stay on, right? Um, how about the fact that we talked about structure? context or theological reflections. That was Casey, Emily, and Carolyn all taught us those things. That's where we learn that context is king, right? We understand that. That's That's really important. But how do we know what the context is if we're not understanding the melodic line or the theme of that book? It provides checks and balances for our emphasis to make sure that we don't go off on our biases, what we learned last time from Erica Dennett. It helps us understand specific passages better and how it relates to the overall theme of the book, and that's that biblical theology that we learned about from Jennifer Giddon. Lastly, and this is where it gets really important, it helps us and our audience recall the point of the book, even if we forget specific passages. I think that's a really important thing for us. Even if we can't remember that specific passage, it's got to be in Philippians, because that's that one about contentment and joy in all things understanding the main theme helps us remember where we would look for a particular text that we're trying to find again. So how do we go about figuring out the melodic line in a passage of scripture that we're studying? All right, let's talk about some strategies. And at this point, I want you to be able to shout out from out in the audience um, things that you would think of. If you're going to look for a melodic line, what is the first thing you think we should do? Read the whole thing. Yep. Okay. Hang on. It just went off. Here we go. Read the whole thing. Great. What else? What should we do very first thing? Pray. 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 You know, that's not a throwaway word. That's a very serious thing. We need to make sure we stop and recognize that we are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God. And we need the power of the Spirit to be able to illuminate our minds in that. We need that prayer time every time we come to it. What else? Repeated words or phrases. Yep. Some of you who are more familiar with the concept of melodic line, feel free to shout out, because I know that this might be new for a lot of you. Mm -hmm. Thinking back to reading the whole thing, what else could we say about reading the whole thing? Read it a bunch. Yep. A lot? Is there only one version of the Bible? hmm. Different versions. I keep doing this, y'all. I'm going to figure this out. Hang on. There we go. My bracelets keep sitting there. Do any of you have that little um, thing on your phone where you can listen to it being read? Uh, listening to the Bible being read is often... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I will figure this out. <laughs> it's going to work.
1: Oh, Hang on.
0: Nope. getting there. Okay, I'm going to go over here and write on the side. Read Yeah. Amen. Yep. Amen. So Diana just told us that we, the Bible tells us not just to read, but it, God's word tells us to hear. Um, and so being able to hear it being read. The other thing that happens when we listen to it being read is it's a different intonation that we read to ourselves. Different things will come out, and you'll hear the word and the way that reader will emphasize the word. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that he said abide 16 times in chapter 2. And we'll see that in a little bit from here. You're like, Whoa, that's a lot. I should probably pay attention to what's being said there and why. Why that word? Um, What were the other ones? How about structure—the way a text is broken down and the flow of the argument, right? What about a purpose statement? You ever been in a book and you're reading, I am writing to you because, do you think that would give us some indication of why they are writing? Probably, right? We call that a purpose statement. We had repetition, was that other one? I didn't put it back up there when I deleted everything. (laughs) Something else to consider is tone, right? what the writer is emphasizing and how they're speaking. We're gonna pull out some of these in examples here in a minute, but tone's another one. The change of topics. And I think lastly, one other thing I'd wanna say is character development. Sometimes there's a focus on a person. Can you think of anything else? There's one more I'm looking for. When, yeah, application could be one. Like what are they honing in on to apply? Yep. Rhetorical questions. They kind of use a Socratic method trying to get you to understand what they're saying in their writing. So we call that a rhetorical question. you will get that? OK, I'm going to move us on. Let's start with the first one, rhetorical questions. All right, we're going to walk through these so you better understand what I'm saying. So I just wanted to list them off so you had some idea of where I'm going to go with this. And then I'm going to give you some examples. Now, we're going to fly through this a little bit. So if I'm going too quickly, just raise your hand and stop me. All right, because I want us to get to how to actually work this out a little bit. Um, I'm not going to give you a melodic line for every single one of these passages that I'm going through, of these books that I'm going through, just for the sake of time and because it takes a lot of work for me in order to get that melodic line of each book. But we're going to get one at the very end, and then we're going to work through First John together. That's kind of our goal this morning, to be able to get you through that. Okay. So beginning with rhetorical questions, that's a question that highlights the writer's emphasis, pointing us to the theme of the book. Just making sure that. Y'all, if you have questions, I'm getting them. So Job 38.2. So I want you to listen. I didn't put them up there for it because of the space. Job 38.2 says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And then Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? What is God doing in that passage there for Job. He's pointing out that, he, that God is God and Job is not, right, which is one of the main points behind that book of Job. So you can see why he would be using those rhetorical questions as a means of being able for us to find that, that theme. Or in Romans, for those of you who have studied Romans already, what about Romans 6, 1 to 2 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What does he say next? By no means. Remember that phrase that he uses over and over again in Romans? He's trying to point out that we are freed from sin, but just because we are, we are freed from, from sin doesn't mean that we can keep on sinning and just think grace abounds all the more. I can just keep going, right? So that quite these questions are meant to highlight more of what the point is of that, of that writer. All right, thinking about tone, I want to compare Philippians 1 and Galatians 1. Same author, right? We've got Paul in both of these uh, passages. Very different tones. Listen to how Paul opens with the Philippians versus how he opens with the Galatians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now here he is again, but to the church of Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What's the difference in there? What was Philippians? What do you hear in Philippians when he's talking to the Philippian church? Yeah, you feel encouragement, right? Joy, excitement. What about to the Galatians? What's the tone of the Galatians? Frustration, shock, caution, warning. It's the parents going, ah, 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 "Don't, don't, don't!" Right? Stop, stop, stop. Mm-hmm. Trying to get their attention. Good. Okay, thinking about repetition, this is a very uh, familiar repetition I think many of us know from the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Judges 2, 11, 3, 7, and 6, 1 all say almost the same thing. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroths. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian seven years. What is being said there in that book? What should we be paying attention to from that repetition, do you think? Sorry, Erica, a little louder. Mm -hmm. And they're choosing to turn from God and turn to things of the world, cause their destruction. The whole idea is that if you're not towards the Lord and you're turning towards things, of, uh, things away from the Lord, destruction results. And that's what's happening there. All right, thinking about a purpose statement. This one is uh, familiar to a lot of us who study First Peter um, about a year and a half ago. First Peter 5.12 says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Or John 20.30 said, Jesus did many other things. These are written so that you may believe. I think we can understand that when we have a purpose statement like that, that's gonna help us unfold a melodic line more um, carefully because we can see, they're basically stating why they have written the letter or the book that they've written. All right, thinking about structure. So we talked about outline. We're going to talk about John structure, first uh, John structure in just a little bit, but we're going to look just for a moment at more of a Hebrew po- poetic style. You can see up on the slide, um, I tried to make that X more apparent how it comes in and it comes out. And the point of this poetic Hebrew structure is to have the emphasis in the middle of that text. So we think about Matthew 23:12 is a really helpful one for us to be able to see It's whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So this right here is the center point, and you recognize that it's humbled. The whole idea that Jesus is putting out here in this section is humility. He is pushing humility in this whole passage. If you blow out from Matthew 23 and understand what's happening, he is talking about servant-heartedness in ministry and having to be humble, and he's telling the disciples that. Um, the next uh, structure that you'll see is, comes from a really, I think, familiar passage for a lot of us in Joshua 1. Um, <clears throat> right at the beginning, we have, I will be with you, and at the end, the Lord your God is with you. And then in B, we can say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You see how these are matching up? And then we have, um, be careful to do all that I have taught you. Be careful to do all the law of Moses. But where is the highlight? Right here in the middle, right? What is the most important thing that's getting across here? What is he trying to emphasize? And is it that we are supposed to be strong and courageous? Is it to know that the Lord will be with us? Is that the main point of that section in Joshua before they go out? What is it? That God's law is supposed to be their focus. They are to be meditating on that. And that the outflow of that is that they will be strong and courageous. That God will be with them at all times. So we want to make sure that we don't focus when we, were, if we are to teach on this passage, we are not focusing here or here or here. Those are all good things, but our focus, our main theme needs to be in this area right in here when we see a structure like that. That structure lends us to understand the main theme and the point that we need to drive home. Oftentimes we get stuck on the peripheral things. Those are important. Those are also part of it. But the main point that's being said there is given to us by the structure. The structure shows us the emphasis that we should be having in our study and what we drive home to the people that we're teaching or ourselves if we're just teaching ourselves. Okay, thinking about top and tail, or um, uh, how many of you were there last Sunday night for our evening service? One of you there Sean taught us? Do you remember what he called that? this? Does anybody remember? He gave us a fancy word. Inclusio, do you remember? <laughs> he said the end, beginning and the end of a passage helps us understand. So we call it top and tail or bookends. You can call it whatever you want. The idea is that you have a beginning and an end and those bookends help highlight what's gonna happen in between. So that's another thing that we can use in order to find the melodic line. Um, in the book of Genesis, one of the main things we have is calling and blessing. It's a blessing of God's chosen people. Now, Genesis was really bro- was broken into two different books. So we had Genesis 1 through 12 and then 13 through 50. And um, I'm going to read through these passages here. And what I want you to think about are that, that's why I have it up there, callings and blessings and how the book, be, part one of the book starts and finishes and the way part two starts and finishes. Um, Genesis 1 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, at the end of that book, there's, that is the Tower of Babel and its curse. And then the next book opens in chapter 12 with this. Now the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we go to the very end of the book. In Genesis 49, it says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Do you think blessing is something important for us to pay attention to? Genesis 50, 24 said, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of the land to the land he swore to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. See, the theme running through Genesis can be found in these bookends right here. Okay, last one. We're gonna work through just a little bit of using, thinking about character development, one of those other ideas we talked about, with top and tail, the beginning and the bookends. And we're gonna think about um, this through the book of Mark. Brad's been teaching through the book of Mark for a while now. We should be somewhat familiar. He's given us these summary sentences with every um, sermon that he preaches. And all those summary sentences that you get week after week should fall under the melodic line. And what I'm going to do is give you Brad's melodic line for the book of Mark to help you better understand how he goes about pulling that, um, each individual sermon that he does. So Mark 1.11 says, A voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Mark 9, 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The character of Jesus, the son of God. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 15:39 and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this in this way he breathed his last he said truly this man was the son of god right so although you may have heard the word immediately is used a lot in the book of Mark it's used multiple times. There's a sense of urgency. It is very important to pay attention to that word, but that's not necessarily the melodic line. That's part of the reason I chose to use Mark as an illustration. It is important, but it's not the most important. Something that should help inform each passage, but it's not the main thrust of the book. The thrust of the book of Mark is seen in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So to put all that together what we would say for the book of Mark would be something like this. So if you want to write this down, this might be helpful for you. A melodic line for the book of Mark, Jesus is the son of God who gave his life as a ransom for the people of God. That's the main thrust of Mark. Jesus is the son of God who gave his life as a ransom for the people of God. So looking back in those verses, if you write that down and you go back and look through those verses, I hope you're able to better understand how meditating, um, rereading, rereading, listening to the passage, those things will naturally come out. You'll see son of God, son of man, son of God, son of man, and this idea of sacrifice and service. But why for the people of God? That comes out over and over and over again in the passage. So tomorrow morning when you're listening, think about that melodic line. And think about the summary sentence you're going to get and see if those two things harmonize with one another. Because that summary sentence should harmonize with the melodic line of the book of Mark. That's what we're trying to study today and understand. All right. What I really want to do is get us together in um, small groups. And I want to walk through how to find a melodic line using the book of First John. Now, I know some of you were probably able to read through it, listen to it, but I know many of you were not. You're just thankful to be here this morning. That's just fine. Um, either way, I want to give you a little bit of a background of First John, because what's one of the most important things for finding a melodic line is familiarity, right? And if you have not read it much, it's going to be hard without a lot of background, to be able to find that melodic line. So I'm going to kind of give you a a head start and push you forward, and we're going to do some um, almost like little stepping stones to hear the melodic line, if even faintly, so that we can come up with a rough draft. I know many of you will be starting studies in 1 John here in the spring, and so I'm hoping that this might help be um, a good springboard for you moving forward. So though not specifically named, 1 John is believed to be written by the Apostle John, who was the beloved disciple of Jesus. It's the first of three letters. It's the longest of the three letters. It appears to have been written to some churches who have been experiencing some disunity and some dispute within them. Um, The disagreements that arose were when some members denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that his death, death was actually unnecessary to forgive sins. So those who held those views actually broke away from the church and started their own church. Um, As we read in 1 John 2.9, we'll read that in a little bit, they began preaching the heresy and it confused many who were left in the original church. So John is writing the brothers and sisters in the church um, and encouraging them to live rightly and to think rightly and to remind them of the truth that they already know. His writing structure, remember we talked about that chiastic structure, sometimes it's an outline form. Those all are the ways that we can be informed in the theme. First John's tricky because it is cylindrical. It's almost funnel-like. He's circular. He keeps coming back to themes, and he winds and winds and winds and winds winds around. So it can be kind of a tricky passage to break down with the structure, but if you know ahead of time that he's going to say something, then he's going to come back to it again and say it in a different way, and then he's going to come back to it again and say it in a different way, you can pluck out those themes and what he's saying. Um, So what I want you to do is grab one or two people near you, And what I'm gonna do is put up some slides and show you things to look through, passages to look at, and what particular strategy I want you to use. Um, And then I want you to try and read those passages, if you can, quietly out loud together, because, like we talked about, hearing it helps us to hear, uh, hearing it can help us pick out and draw out some of the things that we're looking for. We're gonna do three of these, and then after we do that, we're gonna attempt to come together to get a rough melodic line. This is like, speed race doing this, okay? So don't get frustrated if you feel like you're getting lost in the wake, it's totally fine. I just wanna give, it's almost like dipping your toe in just to get started for the first time, all right? For some of you, it's just a little dance, that's all right. But hopefully you can take this and re-listen to it and on the resource list that you have, there's some other teachings on the same thing. Same topic, different teacher, different way of explaining it that might help you as well. So don't get overwhelmed, but get excited because this is going to be kind of fun as we just race through this passage, okay? So we're going to gather back together as a group in a couple minutes. I'll give you probably three minutes for each one, three to five minutes, and let's see what we can gather as we look through this masterful book. So first, I want you to look for repetition in 1 John 1, 1 through 3, so get together and look for repetition in First John 1 1 through3. All right, one more minute. Just when you think you can't find anything else, something else jumps out, right? Every time. (laughs) Okay, let's go ahead and get started with this. I'd love for you to participate with me, okay? So go ahead and just shout it out from where you are. I'll repeat it for the people at home on Zoom. But what things did you see repeated in those three verses? Seen and heard. Life. 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 Say, say again. Make manifest. Make manifest. To you. The or like observation. Yes, those are like the senses, right? The eyewitness. That one I didn't see at first. That one took me a little while. Remember I just said, just when you think you get, you've seen everything or you've studied it, this is the beauty of repetition and going up, repetition of reading, and then the repetition that's there, how much we can just blow over things and not see them. Great. I think those are really good things for us to think about. Make sure you write those down. I'm going to move on to the next one, OK? All right. Now, I want you to, there are a number of passages up there. What I want you to look for are purpose statements. Remember how I said, I, I'm writing to you because, and then there's also repetition within these purpose statements. First John's very interesting when it comes to the purpose statements. That's why I pulled this one out. So it's going to take, I'm going to give you a couple more minutes because there's a little bit to read there. But if you can, try to pay attention to the repetition within the purpose statements. Okay? Go ahead and do that. Give you a couple minutes. Right, I'm going to give you one more minute. I know it's a lot. Okay, I know that's fast. There were a lot of passages there. (laughs) But let's go ahead and just see what we can come up with with the few minutes that I gave you in your groups to come up with some of these purpose statements and some of the repetition that you saw. What are some things that were there? First John one four. We are writing these things. Why? Joy may be complete. There you go. So if it were me, I'd be sitting here. And there we go again. I'm t- my bracelet hit it. This is so exciting. <laughs> I think this is kind of funny. Um, joy may be complete. So what I do when I'm studying these is I just write it down right there on a different set of paper. All these things down, or I type it out whatever you're using. So. What else do we see? Two, one. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay. But if anyone does sin, what? We have this advocate, right? It's talking about advocacy. All right. What about two, seven and eight? Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, I'm writing new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. So he's talking about old commandments, new commandments. He's trying to, talking through what is happening now. what could be going on there? Old commandments to new commandments. What else? What happens in 12 to 14? Do you notice a repetition in there? What word did you hear? See, know. You know is that phrase. And what did they know? I heard somebody. They know God and his word. Yep, they know God and His Word. Whoop. I hope you wrote it down. <laughs> it just disappeared. the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So again, like I said, reading through the passage over and over and over and over again is what helps us to be better informed of the familiarity of the text. But given for the sake of time and not having had that much time in 1 John, what I will tell you is this is this verse you want to pay a lot of attention to because of what He says, <clears throat> I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Do you remember the context? Context is what? king, right? So the context is there's this group of unbelievers who've left the church and now they're spouting heresy at a church down the street and the people who are left in the church are like, do we have the truth? Who really knows the truth? What is truth? Sounds kind of familiar for us today in the world we live in. What is truth? Pulling the old pilot phrase. But what's happening is John is at pains to say, you know the truth. You know the truth. You've seen it. You've sensed it. You've heard it. You've, I was there. I am an apostle. I am telling you firsthand eyewitness. I know the truth. Abide in the truth that you know. It is there. And so he says, you know it because there is no lie of the truth. So that's that emphasis. That's right there. And then in 26, he says, I write these things to about those who are trying to deceive you. So what is he saying there? Well, how would you categorize that? Why he's writing. Yeah, yeah, don't be deceived. I can spell. It's a warning. Do you hear warning in that, don't you? All right. Anything else? What about the very end? That that bookend that we would say, it's at the very end there at 513. What does he say? What word do you see again? No. He's assuring them, right? You know this. You know when you look at somebody, you're like, you know this. You know it's true. (laughs) I don't have to convince you. You know that this is true. And what do they know here? Yes, eternal life right? It's eternal life. I, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's this idea of eternal life and that they know it again. They know it. Good. Okay, last slide. I want you, I'm going to give you a really short time, very short time. 1 John 2, I want you to look for more repetition here. What do you see? We just talked about it, but there's another one I want to look through. You're going to have to breeze through that passage. Okay, y'all, I know that's like not nearly enough time, <clears throat> but because we also have part two of the class, I want to make sure that I'm moving here. So, what words did you hear repeated? Even if we've already said them, say them again. What words did you hear? Sin. Sin. Old? Commands. Old. Man. old commands. Sorry, I, I heard old mans, and I was like, I don't. I didn't see that. I did not see old man's. <laughs> okay, sin, old commands. What else? Know him. know him. Yep. Lies, truths, abide. World. Did somebody say world? Yep. Darkness, light, the contrasting, huh? Light, walk. Okay, make sure you wrote some of those down for when we want to put it all together, okay? Those are going to be really important for you. <clears throat> I haven't figured out how to keep this slide up and then bring it back, so we'll work on that for next time. Um, all right, what do you think is when, when he's doing this repetition of you know him and comparing and contrasting, when you are talking to somebody and you do that you knows, remember the darkness of where you've come from and where you're going, what is usually your goal behind that when you're talking to somebody? What are you trying to do for that other person if you're trying to remind them? Courage, hope, to encourage, yes, to encourage them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what I wanna think about with this next one. What kind of a tone is he using? Encouragement. What else? Reminders. The reminders. Bingo. Say- It's affectionate is what you're hearing there, right? Yeah. Good. So taking all that together, I want you to use all of that and thinking how we got the melodic line of Mark. Do you remember what we talked about with Mark? I want you to work in your group for about three minutes to try to come up as best you can. I know it's really hard because we've not had a lot of time in First John and come up with a rough draft of a melodic line. What is John's point behind all this? One of the words that we didn't um, come up with but I want you to think about, assurance. He's assuring them of the truth that they know. And he's doing it gently, tenderly, and reminding them. These people that were left are beleaguered, frustrated, confused, and John is coming alongside like a parent. So when you remind somebody of something they know, when somebody is out of control and you're trying to encourage them, you reassure them, right? This, is, this book is a tender, loving letter to beleaguered, worn-out, confused individuals to be reminded of the truth that God loved them, that he came for them, that he died for them, and that they have eternal life because of that Jesus that they know. So thinking through that, work together for like three minutes, and we're going to try and put one together, okay? I nice. All right, gals, let's try and work on this together for a couple minutes. Who is brave and wants to give us their rough draft melodic line? No, Melissa, don't shake your head. (laughs) Because she's like, no, I do not want to do it. (laughs) We are all students. There is nobody who ever arrives. That's the amazing part about God's word. It is a mind that is never at the end of that we can go to. So let's all work together let's encourage each other in what we can find here in first john what are some things that you found together for believers to abide in the truth that they know. that's great encouragement for believers to abide in the truth that they know. Great, that word abide. Yeah, using that one. That one would help us to know if we were to read that. We'd think, oh, abide. Isn't First John have all that abide in it? Depending on what version you have, but abide. Abide in the truth of the gospel. Abide in the truth of the gospel. Great. So good. So, if we heard this tune, I'm sorry, y'all, the internet keeps going out, so we're just going to keep trying to go back up. Hopefully, you wrote those down before they went away. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what we want with these melodic lines is when we read them, we're like, oh, yes, that sounds like that book. Oh, yes, that sounds like that book. That's what we're trying to do when we um, do, the, do this hard work of getting through this. So, yeah, go Haley. Great. Eternal life belongs to the children of God through Jesus Christ who abide in Him. Belongs to the children of God. Oop. What was that last part? Of the children of God through Jesus Christ who abide in Him. Jesus Christ who abide in Him. Good. Anyone at home? Zoomers at home? <laughs> what you want to do is take those repetitions, those purpose statements, and you want to pull some of those words and use those words like we did. That's why abide, eternal life, uh, um, children of God. All of those things are good good ways for us to be able to do that. So the thing about a melodic line is the more you study it, the more you can sit there and tweak it over and over and over again. It's almost one of these things where you never have a final draft. (laughs) You're always changing it a little bit, moving it around, because every time you spend time in God's Word, something new comes out for us to be able to see. But it should all sound similar. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? that um, Sorry, that connection went down again. um, That there are... um, sorry, let's see if I can get that up, there we go, that there are tunes that we have that lay on top of each other, that's what's happening here, there are different sounds, different instruments, as we go back to that, thinking of that symphony or an oratorio, they're all laying on top of each other, but they, instead of there being dissonance or cacophony and noise, there's a beautiful harmony that comes out from that. As long, as much, as much as we long to be understood and to be heard, so we should long to understand and know God's word. You know how much you just want to be understood? You know, have you ever had that time when you're trying to talk to somebody and you're in the middle of saying something, instead of letting you finish, they make assumptions and finish what you're saying for you and totally miss the point? Has that ever happened to <laughs> you? That wasn't what I was going to say at all, but thanks for trying. The only reason I know that is because I am notorious at doing this to my husband, to my children, to my friends. For any of you who know me well, I keep telling my, my dear friends, I'm trying to learn to listen well because I'm so excited I just jump in there. The problem is that we don't become very good listeners. We don't actually hear people. We don't understand what's being said. And so goes with God's word. If you try to rush and just assume, I've heard that, I know that story, I've already read that passage, you will miss so many of the beautiful truths of God's word. We need to slow down to be good listeners. And when it comes to listening, we need to be better listeners of God's word so that we can hear that melodic line in each and every book. So this is a fun, and, and I know it can seem daunting task to be able to do, but there's a lot of good that can come from taking the time to just slow down and pay attention to what God's telling us in his, in his word. Do you have any questions about this? I know I flew through it. There was a lot that came at you, but I also want to move on to that next part of our talk. <clears throat> Yeah. You like the word beloved, I mean, these yeah. The, word's not in the, the love? Beloved. beloved. It is in a different version. This is why we say read different versions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beloved. He calls them beloved. Uh-huh. Yep. And so this is where the, we're looking at the different versions. But Lynn's question was it, do you always have to use the words that are in the passage in order to get your melodic line? I think a good melodic line sounds like the book. So just like the tune that I sing, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun, you're like, Star Wars. You know, if I say, abide, little children, eternal life, beloved, you're like, oh, that's First John, you know, and then you're able to pick it out. If I say, son of God, son of man, came to serve and not be served, all of a sudden you're like, Mark. That's Mark. And so that helps us to be better students of God's Word so we can pull that out faster. Melodic lines are a beautiful way for us to be able to hang hats if we're trying to remember a passage. So you're sitting across the coffee table with a friend. This happened to me literally yesterday. And they're telling me something. I'm thinking, oh, where is that passage? And I couldn't remember it. And I was so frustrated because I just didn't know the book. If I'd had the melodic line... I probably would have remembered that's that book. I'm like, it's one of Paul's epistles, but I don't remember which one, right? And this is, helps us so that we can be better counselors of people, better lovers of brothers and sisters in Christ to non-Christians, being able to give them truth that's readily available on our lips. Um, and so using, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be that way, Lynn. I think it's better that way so that you can go back and remember. It's, that helps jog our memory, those, those tag words. Yeah, kind of strung together in a, in a little song if you will will tune anybody else yeah Melissa sure yeah I can make that available yeah so much of it is just because there's so much I will tell you the melodic line in any of the classes that we've done with the Women's Institute on um, this particular method that we're using remember and we're about to go into this right now the method we're using is not some fancy method we are using Charles Simeon Trust's ability that they've given us, the freedom to be able to use that and the ability to use their um, method of study. It's the same thing as what you would know as the coma method um, that we've been using um, or basic inductive study, OIA, observation, interpretation, application. It's all the same. It's just a different way of explaining it. Um, you might be familiar with breaking, breaking down of passages through Bible study fellowship or precept ministries. All of those are doing the same thing. This is just a method that we thought was really helpful and easy to grab in these classes. But the, just like the melodic line, the more you go over it, the more you're like, oh, oh. So it, all of a sudden, it, the lights will go on a little bit more. It's just just practicing it. Um, but I really do pray that you're able to use First John moving forward. Um, as we uh, go into the studies. Okay, so putting it all together, I'm going to speed through. Um, As we conclude our series on inductive study, what I want us to do is um, zoom out like 30,000 feet and get like a brief overview of everything that we've done. And we're going to walk through something called the pathway for preparation. It should be on the back side of your sheet there. Um, what What we're doing in this pathway is working through a text What our point is to work through a text in such a way where the main point of the text becomes the main point of your study where you can rightly apply that truth to everyday life. So this is for your own personal study. It's doing study with others. Again, the main point of the text becomes the main point of your study so that you can rightly apply that truth to everyday life. That's the point of this. That's the whole point of us doing this. So, Imagine with me, if you will, a little stick figure lady. Here she is. She's so excited. I'm going to give her some hair. All right? And she's about to go on a journey. She's going to go on a journey through the text of Scripture that she has in front of us. Now, there's only one way around this pathway, and fatigue can set in. Begging you to take shortcuts, and they will beg her and beg her, but we have to tell her, don't be fooled. Do not be fooled. The longest way around this path is the safest way home. All right? Let's get her home. So anytime we're working on teaching for a Sunday school lesson, hopefully we'll get that back, or devotions with our kids, we always start at the same place. Where is that? God's word. Right here in the text. His word informs us. We don't start with topics or ideas. There's a place for that, but that's not when we're doing study. That's not where we start. We let his word shape topics and ideas. We always start with God's word. But even here at the beginning is this dangerous shortcut number one right here, begging for her attention. All right? This is when we take the text and we push it right to the application. If you look at your little grid there, you'll see that little road across. It goes right from the text to applying it. You think I've got two minutes to read my Bible, I'm going to read this, and I'm just going to take my little nugget of truth for the day and move on with it. The problem with that is misinterpretation, misapplication. We call it blind contextualization to use a big, you know, million-dollar word. But the idea is that you don't really understand what's being said there, and you're misapplying the truth of God's word to your life. It's like this. How many of you have heard about David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath, and then the application is, who are the Goliaths in your life that you need to slay? That is not the point of that text. By the way, you are not David. (laughs) That's the other thing. We get so excited to uh, look for gospel connections in our text and we over read the passage and orig- miss the original meaning to the original audience completely when we do this. So the second thing that can happen, <clears throat> so this is the dangerous path one. We say, don't go this way. This is not the way to go, okay? <laughs> dangerous shortcut number two. This is spiritualizing or dehistorizing, basically taking history out of it, over-spiritualizing everything, and seeing Jesus everywhere. We see the gospel everywhere, Jesus everywhere, and then we miss the text completely again by not taking it to the original audience. Um, This is something like uh, the red rope hanging out of Rahab's window. You ever heard this one? There's Jesus there. It's the rope of salvation. Is that the point of the text? Nope. Is that over reading gospel connections in a text? Yep, because what was the original, what's the original point for the audience? We've got to start there. Rather than take these dangerous shortcuts, we must put the skills that we've learned into practice. Okay, what are some of those skills? Context, structure, melodic line. All of those things are what we call exegesis, that million dollar word again. We take the time to look at the passage in the context. We pay attention to the way that the book is structured. We use melodic line, that unique theme of the book. What a context. It's all the literary, historical, biblical. If you you missed any of those classes, I really encourage you to go back and listen. Because now you'll better understand what it was that we were doing talking through that. Each of these classes broke down for us to be able to understand as our little lady is walking. We want her to walk this way, we don't want her to go this way, it's danger, we don't want her to go this way, it's danger, we can't take the text right to us, we need to take the text through the work in order to get what we call the aim of the passage, what was originally meant for the audience, what was the author's original intent to them then, once we understand what was to them then, then we need to take it through what we call the gospel connections going this way, Then we start to look at the cross. Where do we see the cross in that? Um, We take that exegetical work through it, understanding uh, that we stand on the other side of the cross. What are we doing now? Was that passage written before Jesus? Was that passage written after Jesus? All of that matters so that we can better understand how to rightly see the gospel connections in that passage. We are waiting for Christ's final and ultimate return, right? And so we have to read and understand what was applied to that original audience where we are now. There's some interpretation that has to come through that and some reflection. Um, For those of you who are more familiar with the COMA method, so this is context right here and observation. Over here, this would be the M. What does it mean? What does it mean there? What is happening? Right? We go through that. Now. The one of the problems that we run into though is there's another little dangerous, dangerous route. What happens if we get there? Hang on. Taking the original meaning of the text and forgetting to put it through the cross, all you're gonna end up with is moralism, legalism, gracelessness. It's gonna be a works-based application that you will come to if you forget to take it through the cross you over-intellectualize, you lose everything. It's taking something like the book of Ruth and saying, be courageous like Ruth. Go to the threshing floor of your life. It's saying, you need to learn to love your in-laws the way Ruth loved her (laughs) in-laws, right? I'm telling you, these are things I've heard. It happens. Well-meaning teachers just don't take the time to go through those gospel connections. That wasn't the point of the book of Ruth right? So be careful of dangerous shortcut number three. So coming back here, as we take our little lady around this pathway through the gospel connections, we make our way home. And then we get to the conclusion. At this point, the stick figure is around the corner safely, and she's followed the pathway without taking any of those dangerous shortcuts here. You like my skulls? That was really exciting. I got really excited when I found those. It was fun for me. Um, We can safely and rightly apply the biblical truths that we're learning from our passage. As we understand the original intent for the audience taken through those gospel connections, we can apply it to us now. That's where we get the A or application that we get to. But be careful not to rush through that. It doesn't mean that you need to spend five hours over a text every morning. But do stop and think to yourself, "What what did they actually mean? What was the original purpose of that? And what could be the biblical theology of that passage? Where is Jesus in that passage to them then? And how does that apply to us today? Because we remember, what, the longest way around this path is going to be your safest way home. So that's putting it all together in what we call the pathway for preparation. It's a speed-demon way through it. I hope you got a little bit of it, putting that all together. If you take go back and go listen to those classes, it might make a little more sense as you understand why we are taking the time to break it down so you understand context better, you understand structure better, you understand um, the melodic line a little bit more, those gospel connections. So um, we are near out of time, but I do want to take a couple minutes. For those of you who have been working through this um, and those of you even who have not, I would love to be able to answer questions Haley's going to come up and answer questions around how to study your text, right ways to um, uh, read and interpret your your text that you're studying, how to go about doing this, things that you've had along the way as we've gone through this series on how to study your Bible using this particular method that we've given to you. So, coming up, Haley. Now. questions? Surely. Yes, Erica. Okay, so you found the can you pull your mouse down so I can hear you? Is that okay if you do? So Thanks. You found the yeah. I'm going to go, go
1: back. Found, like, the main idea, like, the big idea yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Point B, yeah, under the giant point. yeah, yeah. no, it's a great question. So what do you do with somebody like Paul? We've got a lot of subpoints behind that main point. I think, again, that's why I was at pains to give you so many examples at the beginning today of melodic line. So Jennifer used a really good one with Peter and the Wolf. It's actually one of my most favorite ones to use because there are so many different instruments that are being used and played in that particular symphony. Um, but how they all come together to make a beautiful sound. But it's called Peter and the Wolf. So there's this idea that there's sounds underneath all that, but what all of those subpoints should be able to underscore the main thing that's happening. There's one tune that's being sung. Jesus is the Messiah who came to and died for sinners to bring his people home, the people of God. You know, thinking about the biblical redemptive story is the big huge umbrella we're working under. And every book of the Bible has a melodic line. And within that melodic line of that book are all these subpoints. And so all of those subpoints are when you get a summary sentence that not all preachers do this, but Brad does this, and a lot of the other um, pastors do here. Where you get a summary sentence of that passage. That's the subpoint, but that should again fall under if you think about it as layers. That should fall under the subpoint of the melodic line, which it should fall under the biblical theology that we have of all of Scripture, the whole redemptive history story. And those should all sound the same in one sense, all coming together. If you're not familiar with um, Andrew Peterson's uh, song, the theme of my song, that one's great because I think it's the best way to hear it. Each song is literally played at the same time, but you can hear it and there's no noise. It's just beautiful because they're all laid on top of each other with the theme still running through it, like the main melodic line is running through the song. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) Enough. Yeah, Alex. both? Yeah, you want to answer that more?
1: I think if you're teaching a Bible study, you would want to do that work ahead of time, just so you can, as you're teaching, again, make sure that each lesson corresponds to that in some way, shape, or form. Um, It does require some extra effort in advance, but if you're just doing personal study, I think it can be great to uh, come up with a rough draft before you start in depth, and then kind of check your work as you go along. Um, and then by the end, you can have a more polished version. So, yeah.
0: And again, the polished is polished yes. in air quotes because it's ever changing. Yeah. Some of the best teachers I was listening to as I was preparing are talking about the fact that they are they're still working on their melodic line as they're teaching through the book itself. Like they get one initially and then keep working through it and i mean this is it it doesn't have to be as complicated as it can seem as i'm talking it's just the what's the basic thrust of john when you read through it what do you hear you hear affection you hear assurance you hear love and tenderness but you hear warning and caution you're like okay that's that's a theme I mean, so I don't even string it together in words. I've just got an idea in my head, and then I can keep moving with that. That helps, and then I keep, keep forming it. Anything else about any of the other classes? Um, uh, thinking about context, structure, melodic line, theological reflections, biblical theology. We've been through a lot the last year. Anybody online asking questions? Did I join? new. Just like, okay, great. Yeah,
1: just Any more? Going once? Just kidding. Okay. Well, I will say <laughs> one of the things that has helped me the most in all of these uh, practical strategies is to recognize that it is a skill, and you will get better at it over mm-hmm. time. So one thing this last year... Um, with women's Bible studies. We've been trying to come up with a melodic line before each one. So we came up with a melodic line for Galatians in the spring and Joel in the summer and Zephaniah in the fall. And I will say it did get better as we went. I don't love my Galatians melodic line as well anymore. Sorry, Catherine. I'm sure <laughs> you might feel the same way if I had to guess. But um, But I do feel like it's a skill. So just know that you will improve over time and with practice. And in particular with 1 John, um, we do have the opportunity as women to study that book together this spring. So there's an in-person women's Bible study on Tuesday night studying 1 John. They meet every other week and are not meeting this week, um, but they will the following. And then we're also going to start one on Zoom also on Tuesday nights, so if you have interest in those, please let me know, and I would love to get you connected. would love to have you join those, and you can practice all of these skills together. Um, the pathway of preparation that Aaron just went over um, roughly follows the format of those Bible studies, where we'll be working through context, observations, the meaning, and the application of those texts, so would love to have you all be a part of that, so if you have interest, again, just email me. I'm in the directory, or you can come talk to me about it. And then finally, we just finished the series, so you might be wondering what's next? Where will we go from here? So for the spring, the next five months, we're going to switch gears into some practical theology for women, and I'm so looking forward to this series. Um, we'll get to meet on the last Saturday of each month, moving forward with the ex- um, exception of May because the last Saturday would be Memorial Day weekend, so we'll do the one right before the 22nd. But generally, last Saturday of every month, would love to have you here. And that series will be walking with God, dot dot dot. And so each of the series, um, each particular class, will fall under that category of what does it look like to walk with God through the varied seasons of life. So as a single woman, as a married woman, as married with children, empty nester, widow, thinking about just all the seasons of life that we may go through, what does it look like to walk with the Lord faithfully, who walks with us? Um, And then we'll also get to think about walking with God in community, walking with God and sharing him with others, walking with God in marriage, and walking with God in parenting. So those are the classes that you'll have to look forward to this spring. We hope that y'all will come and benefit from them. I'm excited to learn from our women in those various ways. So I think
0: that's all we have today. Um, thank you for taking the time, especially because there was a lot this morning. Y'all were patient. There was a lot of information. Y'all are amazing. I just want you to know it's worth it. God's word is worth it to take the time to study it. I hope you're excited. That's my my prayer all week is in. You leave excited to be able to study God's word. With, by yourself and with others. So grab another sister in Christ. Ask them if they want to read a scripture together. Don't, you don't have to make it complicated. Just sit down, look at the passage together, pray over the passage, and let the Lord illuminate his word for you to apply it to your life every day. So I hope you go, I hope you go out those doors excited and not overwhelmed. That's my, that's my hope for you.